Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. My name is Ruben Nava. Um, I'm a one man car today. My partner Jesse's out doing some apostolic work. As he does, he uh, travels the country and uh, he's in high demand because this, uh, I think Catholics uh, are, are requesting him. Catholics uh, want uh, the truth and they want to be. Uh, want to be brought closer to our Lord and Savior, especially after what's been going on in the last two years with this uh, this pandemic. So uh, kudos to Jesse. Uh, say a prayer for him that, uh, you know, God opens the hearts of those who are going to be in attendance wherever he is speaking. So, um, yeah, we got some, uh, some good things in store today for today's lineup. Um, a Chicago priest, a courageous Chicago priest, he challenges cardinal supich's cancellation of ad orientum that's going to be uh, the first story and uh you know as we mentioned about cardinal supich the other day it was what he has has done to uh the traditional uh people out there for 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 those who are have a, a an affinity for the uh tradition for the old latin mass and um and then, and also, just in this case, this is not a traditional priest. He's he's traditional in the sense that he he wants to stay close to the the perennial teachings of the of the church and and especially the liturgical forms of the mass. But uh, he all he was simply doing was doing a, a reverent Novus Ordo mass and fit, wanting to face ad orientum. Okay, so. Um, I'm sure our listeners probably know what this means, but if, if there's any for the one listener that's not uh, not uh, not up to speed on the on what ad orientum is, so okay, so it's it, we we're talking about uh, what uh, ad orientum just means that it's uh, of course east facing east. So ad orientum is the posture in which the priest celebrant and the people face east together. Sometimes the liturgical east. So if a church is built facing some other direction, okay, looking over the altar at the crucifix at various junctures, including most of the liturgy of the Eucharist until the communion and, and the practices, it's scriptural. Jesus promising his, his return, like uh, light, lightning seen in the east in Matthew 24, 27, apostolic, ancient and traditional, but largely abandoned in the post-conciliar world when the rationale is best given by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger when he was uh, in the working for the doctrine of the faith. And he, he said, this is Cardinal Ratzinger at the time, uh, later on, Pope Benedict. He said, despite all the variations in practice that have taken place far into the second millennium, one thing has remained clear for the whole of Christendom. Praying towards the East is the tradition that goes back to the beginning. Moreover, it's a fundamental expression of the Christian synthesis of cosmos and history of being rooted in the once for all events of salvation history while going out to meet the Lord who is to come again. In short, the people and the priests pray to God together as they anticipate the second coming of Christ. So what this priest did was he he wrote to his bishop, Bishop Lombardo, and he and uh, he did it very respectfully. He's just, uh, he says, thank you for consulting the archbishop regarding my request for permission to offer the holy sacrifice at Orientum. So 
you know, with uh, Pope Francis's um, um, traditionalis custodis, he he's made it um, a requirement to ask for permission to do anything other than say the the uh, Novus Ordo, um, you know, facing the people. So he uh, this priest, this priest, Father Anthony Boos, a pastor at Stanislas Costa, um, he said that. He will comply with the directive that th- that this is forbidden in his archdiocese. So even so, um, Archbishop does not provide evidence that ad orientum, this is the priest speaking, was abrogated by the Second Vatican Council. As I read Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Roman Missal, the implication is ad orientum is not abolished or prohibited. On the contrary, so he's telling the bishop, "Hey, this is I'm pointing this out to you. It's not in there." Uh, so liturgists, prelates, priests, and religious had a glorious time after the council taking liberties to to change the face of the church. And this is uh, the priest says, as I recall as a young teenager in Florida, when a priest came from Chicago, he came to our beautiful parish as its new pastor. He right away renovated, and I like to say recovated, the church into what looked more Baptist than Catholic. How many of you have been to a church like that? I know I have. In those days, Baptists had strange notions of the Catholic faith, but they loved our beautiful churches. I think they were as shocked as we were at, the, at what became of our parish church. As a teenager, the church I loved very much turned upside down and through my young mind lost all relevancy. It seemed to just disappear like so many others. I turned away from the faith even though I had always felt a deep-seated call to the priesthood. My return to the faith only came years later, and that's a whole other story. And uh, I did hear his story. It's uh, out there on YouTube, um, Father um, Anthony Boos. It's a, it's a really good story. It's a short, you know, four-minute uh, video. <clears throat> so he says, as I mentioned in a previous email to you, even though I intuitively knew by the grace of God that something been amiss in the reform of the sacred liturgy, the depth and richness in the writings of Pope Benedict and Cardinal Seurat became for me the key that unlocked the mystery of the Holy Sacrifice and the mystery of the ministerial priesthood in persona Christi. I believe that writings and expositions hold the key to reform of the sacred liturgy and the priesthood. And, uh, you know, he, he quotes Cardinal Robert Serra and, and, and his address at the Sacra Liturgica Conference in 2016, which created quite a stir. Uh, Cardinal Serra at the time pleaded with priests worldwide to return to offering the appropriate parts of the Mass at Orianum, beginning in Advent, as in current practice, the vast majority of Masses have the priest facing the people versus populum, it's called. And, uh, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, Cardinal Sarah was replaced uh, because of his hard stance on the liturgy, according to the Pope. I mean, not a hard stance for, for many of us, but when uh, the Pope is trying to change the church, then uh, you're going to see great cardinals and, and bishops like Cardinal Serra are going to go by the wayside because he's not uh, he's not toting the the party line. So <clears throat> the priest goes on to say, it's no wonder why the young are drawn to those who hold to sacred tradition in worship and in life. If the church's agenda is to Protestantism or make herself acceptable to the world, she's been effective, and thus. One can explain in part the mass apostasy from the Catholic faith on the on the part of priests, religious, and laity alike. 
The faith of the ancients of old is discarded for what's been called moral therapeutic deism. So one doesn't need the church or Christ if it's just about feeling good. <clears throat> that's true. You can go feel good at uh, Chuck E. Cheese. You can go feel good at uh, amusement parks. And, and uh, But we don't go there to feel good. We go there to to get what we need, to to receive our Lord and to adore and worship and, and glorify our Lord in, in the Mass and to be present at the foot of the altar, foot of the cross, you know. So, and people are leaving the Catholic Church in droves. He, he's correct here. And and the young people in particular are are drawn to the tradition. I look at the traditional Mass wherever I go to Mass and and, and in the old rite, there are a lot of young people and a lot of kids, and that's that bodes well for our future. And I think uh, the uh, our our leaders they see this too, and they want to kind of squash it right now. So it's like you know, it's like they're chasing cockroaches, and they want to feel like you know, I'm going to put that I'm put that one to rest, and and uh, they're trying to squish us. Again, as I've suggested in previous emails to you, there's a point when the constant chiding of the Holy Father that we're all demented, rigid, or hiding some sickness because we hold to what has been handed down to us, wanting to remain Catholic in solidarity with our ancestors, who heroically and courageously defended the faith in times of persecution, cause us to turn a deaf ear to his exhortations. In reality, we can't help but listen because he is the successor of Peter. Indeed, we are passing through a time of persecution. Do we go the way of Jesus Christ or do we accommodate and compromise our faith in deference to the world? The Holy Mass is the renewal of our fiat. You know, like Our Lady said to the angel Gabriel, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, be it done unto me according to thy word. So the Holy Mass is a renewal of that, of our yes, uh, a renewal of our covenant with the Lord and his mystical body. Therefore, our primary participation in the Holy Mass and the renewal of our sacred covenant to the Lord is that we offer ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, our spiritual worship, quoting St. Paul. We do this in union with the sacrifice of Jesus for Jesus, through Jesus, and in Jesus, to the glory of the Father. The sacred mysteries offered ad orientum facilitates this so beautifully in preparation for Holy Communion and always in anticipation of the Lord's coming at the end of all, all things. <clears throat> Forgive me, Bishop Lombardo, if I'm sharing with you things you already know. I just needed to get unburden my heart of the pain I feel at what is happening in the church. Many faithful Catholics are being cruelly demoralized, thrown into confusion, which is something the Pope admittedly takes joy in and purposefully being pushed to the fringe. There will be no place for our voices in the so-called synod on synodality. This is something we know for certain. I don't mean to be offensive, but my words come from a place of having been offended over and over again for for far too long. I speak for many because I listen to many who are away from the faith or trying hard to hold on to the faith. Boy, this priest is hitting hard, okay? I'm going to pick this up on the other side of the break, but uh, I like the way he's pushing back. You could relate to this and maybe in your parish. Talk about it. All right. Talk to you on the other side of the break. God bless. Now. 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. A time, <clears throat> Jesus 911, we're back. One man car, <clears throat> I'm 10-8 um, on Soul Patrol. And uh, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. Ecclesiastes 3-7. And that's what this courageous uh, Chicago priest is doing. He's he's writing a letter to his uh, his bishop, Robert Lombardo. This is Father Anthony Bush, the pastor of St. Stanislaus Costa. And um, he's hitting it. Uh, he's hitting on all cylinders, man. He's he's hitting hard here. Um, I wish mo- more priests would be able to address their their bishops. Why? Well, you know, I, obviously I'm not in in privy to their their the way they talk to him, but uh, it seems to to me and seems to a lot of parishioners that the uh, the priests just kind of just go along to get along and uh, and don't and don't push back. At least that's the the perspective that we we see from the from as as an outsider. Okay. Uh, just from based on on what um, you know, very very seldom do we see uh, the the our prelates say one thing and then flip and say, okay, well we're gonna we're gonna change and go. Uh, you you guys were right. It, it just rarely happens. So this priest he's uh, he goes on to say these are strange times, no doubt. I think you all agree, right? We are in some strange times. I trust us all to be to the benevolent and gracious love of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She's not frozen in the pages of sacred scripture and continues to fulfill the will of God, a prophetic presence for the time in which we live. Again, as always, thank you for hearing me. Be assured of my prayers for you and for all who hold the lofty offices of the successors of the apostles, governing, sanctifying, and prophetically leading the Lord's flock entrusted to the care of their pastors. Then he goes and quotes. He goes and he quotes Pope Benedict, who says, "Quote: The false deities will be unmasked through the suffering faith of simple believers." End quote. I'll read that again. That's pretty heavy. Pope Benedict says, "The false deities will be unmasked through the suffering faith of simple believers." <clears throat> so Pope Francis said he wants not a new church, but a different church. That's coming from the lips of Pope Francis. The church is Christ's church. One wonders, okay, so that, that was the end of his quote. The priest goes on to say, the church is Christ's church. One wonders what he means by this or why his mercy is shown to some while disdain is shown to others. I don't mean to end on a sour note, but I can't resist this. The church is in need of renewal and reform in every generation as the council states. Perhaps the surprise of the spirit will undo the harm that's been done and bring us back to our identity as members of the mystical body of Christ, as opposed to mere global citizens where man, woman are the central protagonists to the unfolding of the new world order. The governments and corporate elites of the world, along with the Pope and some prelates are quite open to accepting the, the frightening reality, this frightening reality. Perhaps this will haste, this will hasten the coming of the Lord. Thanks again for hearing me out, Bishop Almardo. I do appreciate it. So kudos to Father Anthony. He tells it like it is, you know. And uh, you know, if he gets censored, um, I mean, he's he 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 knows what it could lead to, but he has to speak his mind, and and you know, so do we. We have to speak up for what we believe in, and we have to do it with a, a formed moral conscience. And uh, I I just take my hat off to him, because 
yeah, it's, we are certainly in strange times and, and to see what's going on, every decision that comes out of the, uh, of the Vatican, you know, it, it seems as though it's, it's, it's not in line with what we've been taught as children in the faith all the way up. You know, it's, it's, it's it has not been consistent or congruent with what we've been taught. <clears throat> so, we just got to keep praying and keep uh, putting our foot down whenever we can. If we have that opportunity to, as in this case, you know, this priest wrote to his bishop, perhaps you could write to, uh, to your bishop and um, there's problems in your church. But if there's problems in your church and, and then it's not getting fixed, then, then I suggest maybe you find a, a, another parish that's not going to try to destroy your faith. Um, we're going to move on to another story. Um, a Catholic nurse, she is she was fired for wearing a crucifix. Okay, so <clears throat> a courageous nurse. This is just the the kind of the um, outline of of what happened here. She, hospital staff. Um, she said that hospital staffs wore hijabs. And they went to mosque four times a day. These are like nurses. These are people in the hospital. Yet my little cross was deemed so dangerous that I lost the job that I loved. Christian nurse forced out for wearing a crucifix tells her troubling story for the first time. And these are the bullet points. The Christian nurse was forced out of a South London hospital for wearing a crucifix. Mary Onoha's, um, Onuaha's small gold cross is a symbol of the 61-year-old nurse's faith. She was effectively forced out of the job she loved because of her religion. And she won a case against Croydon NHS Trust on the grounds of harassment, victimization, direct and indirect discrimination, and unfair dismissal. So that those are the bullet points. So <clears throat> she's uh, sh- she believes that her small cross, her crucifix, is one of her most prized possessions. She treats her her it's that important to her. It's a symbol of her faith, a symbol of Jesus Christ, and. Um, She's, she's a devout to her faith. She says, every time I look at it, I think of Jesus, his love, how much he loved me and the need for me to love him back, she says. So um, she, was, she was told that the necklace harbored bacteria. That's what her, her supervisors were saying. But she believes she was targeted for displaying a symbol of her Christian faith. Even though many colleagues were allowed to sport other items expressing their beliefs, be they turbans, hijabs, and bracelets. On one occasion, a manager even called her away from her nursing duties in an operating theater in the middle of surgery to discipline her for wearing it, potentially risking the patient's safety, she claims. This is what the nurse claimed. She, uh, when she, was refused to t- she refused to take it off, Mary was moved to clerical duties and became subject to what she describes as a sustained campaign of bullying that left her unable to work. Having been been signed off with stress last October, she she brought a legal case against Croydon Health Services (NHS) trust on the grounds of harassment, victimization, direct and indirect discrimination, and constructive and unfair dismissal. Now that sounds like some of you who are going through <clears throat> this with the with the jab, not wanting to take the jab, and or maybe and and also not testing, not wanting to test. Uh, you're you're being singled out, and you're um, you're probably being bullied, and uh, could be from 
coworkers. It could be from your, you know, your boss. It could be from HR. But in any case, uh, Mary, she, she, she went off. I guess she went off on stress, according to this article. And uh, then she got herself in a lawyer. So she she brought brought this legal case against Croydon um, on the on the grounds of harassment, victimization, and direct and indirect discrimination and constructive and unfair dismissal. So they let her go. And last week, her case ended in a victory. Good for her. When employment judge Daniel Dial found that Mary had been constructively dismissed for in a way that was both unfair and discriminatory, he said the trust had a, created a humiliating and threatening environment and that when Mary complained, the response had been offensive and, t- and intimidating. It's a, a vindication, albeit a bittersweet one for Mary, as she believes the case exposes the hostility and discrimination experienced by many Christians in the workplace. A few shared by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Lord Carey. <clears throat> so in her only newspaper interview, she tells the Mail on Sunday, This has always been my attack on my faith. My cross has been for me with me, has been with me for more than 40 years. It's part of me and my faith, and it has never caused anyone any harm. So at this hospital, there are members of staff who go to a mosque four times a day and no one says anything to them. Hindus wear red bracelets on the wrists and female Muslims wear hijabs in theater. A theater is, is, is what they call, uh, is my understanding that is what they mean by in surgery. Yet my small cross around my neck was deemed so dangerous that I was no longer allowed to do my job. And so it's a turn of events that has astonished a woman who believes she was coming to a free country when she arrived in Britain from Nigeria in 1988 to pursue her dream of, of becoming a nurse. She says she's a strong woman, but I've been treated like a criminal. I love my job, but I'm, I'm not prepared to compromise my faith for it, and neither should other Christians, uh, NHS, another other Christian NHS staff in this country. So is there something that you're wearing? Uh, is there something that... Uh, that you at that you wear or, or maybe be at a shirt like what I'm wearing or maybe um you know a, a crucifix maybe be your scapular is there anything that that singles you out as a as a catholic christian and have you been have you been singled out have you been uh, bullied because of it have you been made fun of or um are you the one who just well I'm not going to go ahead and, and show those things because it's nobody's business. I mean that could that's a you know a fair statement. <clears throat> but uh I think we I think we have the opportunity when we have the opportunity to to uh display our faith and to wear our faith on our sleeve it, it's I think it's a positive thing, right? It it could lead to conversations, it could lead to People wanting to know more, or people respecting you, or the other way, they could, they could look at you in disdain. So she goes on to say, you know, that uh, when she, when uh, when I was fifteen, my beloved two-year-old brother died of measles, and uh, so I was so sad that there wasn't the medical care available for him that could have saved him. And at times in the area where I lived, this was in Nigeria, this made me passionate about about caring for people and about medicine. So she came to London with her husband, Charles, and uh, there she studied nursing and, and got a job. In 2001, she started working at the hospital, Croydon University, and uh, she performed a lot of different functions, primarily in the operating theater and providing pre- and post-operative care. And her cross was sometimes 
concealed by her scrubs, but was visible on other occasions. And, uh, and however, it, it never attracted comment until 2014 when the theater manager at the time asked her to remove it on health and safety grounds. And she says, I refuse and said words to the effect of what about hijabs, turbans and lava bracelets, Mary calls. She said she would get back to me, but did not do so. So a year passed and further uh, without further incident. And then 2015, a matron asked Mary to wear a longer chain to conceal the cross under her uniform. Again, Mary says, why should I? Why should I hide my faith? While others were allowed to show their own, Mary says, she didn't take the matter any further. <clears throat> so it was, a, it was a, the first of many incidents with a succession of managers asking her to conceal or to remove her cross, deeming it a health and safety risk. If not, Mary was told the matter would face escalation. And Mary continually refused. She says, I, I felt like I was being bullied. And so she, good for her. Mary, she takes it to court. She wins her court case. And uh, in the end... The spokesman for the hospital said, we would like to apologize to Mrs. Onuha. It's important that NHA staff feel able to express their beliefs and that our policies are applied in a consistent, compassionate, and inclusive way. Kudos to her. Okay, on the side of the break, we'll talk about some chaplains, priests, that are chaplains for NFL. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency... Dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And uh, we're just uh, going to get into some gridiron for fathers. Three NFL uh, chaplains discuss their faith and ministry, both on and off the field of football. And, you know, we're uh, right now in the NFL is in the playoff. And, you know, uh, my L.A. Rams beat uh, Jesse's Arizona Cardinals last night pretty handily. And so um, I found this, uh, these, these, these stories and they're put out by the um, Knights of Columbus. So uh, they did a very good job uh, highlighting these three priests who are, are chaplains now. And so much of the year, Sunday is hardly a day of rest for players in the NFL. And that's one reason why NFL teams have chaplains. And as the NFL playoff season has begun, three of these chaplains, all of them Knights, share their stories of bringing Christ to the athletes they serve so these the Kansas City Chiefs chaplain Father Richard Rocha gives a uh, and he's shown in the picture in the article sh- giving a blessing to the Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker, who we've highlighted on the show in the past with Jesse. He's a traditional Catholic. He actually serves Mass. He's their kicker, and he serves Mass with his priest every morning. So pretty cool. So um, yeah, without further ado, Mister Engineer, go ahead and play the first clip, and and this is uh, the Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay uh, Father Chuck Dornquist. He's the chaplain for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <clears throat> Go box! To have a place that's filled with box fans, it's for the sake of that trophy. I'm with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Absolutely 100% absurd. And yet that's what the Lord does. I'm Father Chuck Dornquist, Director of Vocations for the Diocese of St. Petersburg, uh, and I am the team chaplain for the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So growing up, we were fairly dysfunctional uh, in my household. Mom and Dad didn't really practice the faith. Dad, unfortunately, got hooked on oxycodone. 
Oxy turned to fentanyl, and fentanyl turned into occasionally heroin. Two months prior to ordination, my parents divorced. It was not safe for my mom to be with my dad in any way. His addiction is what got the best of him. The only time my dad was present while I was doing priestly ministry was the night before he died. I uh, flew out to Oklahoma and was able to anoint him. There's, there's not much that I've experienced in priestly ministry that I hadn't already experienced in my home. The, the Lord made it clear that he had created me for something particular. I was raised a Cowboys fan. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that since I'm the Bucks chaplain. When I was 10 or 11 years old, dad found a gate that was open to the stadium. We walked through the gate out onto Cowboys field. I was like pretending I'm Emmett Smith running into the end zone. And then security guard, hey, what are you doing here? And so we, we, we get out and no issues. Later on, as an NFL chaplain, walk onto the field and this amazing moment that like, although I became a priest and not a football player like my dad wanted, I belonged in, in the stadium. So, so here I am, like, I'm, I'm with the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I'm in clerics with the offensive line on this victory boat like, to be a priest in that moment. And I was proud of them just to be able to see that they were enjoying that moment, that they had worked hard for it. But when I'm with them, they don't need another fan. They don't need someone else who's gonna give them special attention because they're some top-notch special athlete. They need someone who can love them as a father. The model of masculinity is fatherhood. Our world is starving for good fathers. My dad caused me a lot of pain, and fathers have fallen short in so many ways. The Knights have men who are willing to rise up and to sacrifice. The whole purpose of being a man is to learn how to lay down your life for the sake of another. The Knights of Columbus have been doing that for a long time. The priest is called to give of his life entirely for the benefit of the other and not expect anything back. Now, I never pray for our guys to win, but I pray that they give themselves entirely, that they bring everything they have to that moment, that they, they empty themselves for the sake of each other into the team. I'm, I'm always very intentional, not rushing consecration. But it's the one time of silence that these guys get, and the one time that nothing's expected of them, that they're not being told what to do. So now I'm director of vocations for the diocese. The team, of course, wants to win. The seminarians want to be holy. They've both committed their lives in drastic ways to be excellent towards greatness. But so important, if you're going to have 60, 70,000 fans yelling that they know the place and that they know the voice of their coach, to have an interior stillness. And how important it is for us like each and every day to have time to be with our coach, with the Father, so that way when we do go out into whatever our stadiums are, that even in the chaos, we can perceive his voice. That was so good. Oh, what he, he says about fatherhood, you know, that we're just, we're, we need good fathers. And like he says, you know, sometimes our, our your biological father have let us down, but our heavenly father will never let us down. And uh, so we need to be out there. And these, these, uh, 
I can imagine. Uh, and this is a big dude. This priest is a big guy. He looks like he could be playing football himself. Father Chuck Dornquist. And, um, but he's just so gentle, you know, he's such a big man yet. He's so gentle. And I like that. Uh, he says he, he gives them that a few minutes after consecration just to be silent. Um, he, he, he says in the article, he's only got 25 minutes to, to say the mass. So it's not a lot of time, but, um, in any case, Mr. Engineer, let's play the next one. This is uh, father Douglas Hunter. And I like this. This guy was a former police officer. He, he was a police officer uh, in before entering the seminary in 2009. And, uh, yeah, the Indianapolis Colts uh, chaplain. <clears throat> I'm the Catholic chaplain for the Indianapolis Colts. Being present to them means on the practice field and off the practice field. People put them on a pedestal. They're just regular people who do extraordinary things on the field. always help my mom set up the altar area before mass began. One of our nuns at the time asked me if I would like to be an altar server. That's where it really all developed. It was about my freshman year in high school where my mom dropped me off at my dad's house and something wasn't quite right. And I found him on the floor. Come to find out he had passed away. So my grades during high school were not the greatest because of that trauma there. And so when it came time to apply to the seminary, I was not able to get in. One of my other closest friends, he said, hey, have you ever thought about being a police officer? I learned a lot from the Sheriff's Department. That's where I really grew up. When I was in the police department, there was a lot of noise and chaos in my life. I would leave my office and just go sit in adoration just be quiet. And I, the more God kept pulling at me, the more I kept running from it. And I ran till I couldn't run anymore. And I said, Lord, I need a break. And I turned my car in, my badge, my gun, everything that I've known for about 11 years. I turned all that in and I said, okay, here we go. And we took a leap of faith. I've learned to be able to cut out the noise that quiet time is beautiful. God is sometimes speaking to me in the midst of darkness and whispering to me in many different ways. People often ask me, how does law enforcement transition over into priestly ministry? When I talk, I have to talk with compassion, not with authority. I have to see the face of Christ in the person I'm dealing with. I have to see them in their need at that moment in time. My phone rings from a priest who never calls me. He said, Colts are looking for a chaplain. You in? I said, okay. I'm meeting and greeting people along the sideline, encouraging them a lot. I'll say, Coach, is there anything you need me to pray for? And I'll see Chris Ballard out there also, our GM with the Colts. I always tell my friends, I have two churches, one here at the parish and one on the gridiron. Getting to know them is the biggest part, because usually when they first get here, they're a little standoffish at times. Sometimes men go through things, they don't show emotion, or they don't want to show any weakness or any vulnerability. 
It's okay to cry. It's okay to hug. It's okay to love because that's what we're all called to do is to love. Someone said, have you heard about the Knights of Columbus? And I said, yes, but tell me more. I don't know everything. The next thing I know, I, I'm a knight. They were very active and I said, I want to be part of that. And they're a beautiful organization that helps me in many different things and I help them in any way possible. So I go from that prayerful moment to here we are with this excitement, this electricity that is flowing throughout the building for the game. Now it's time, the game begins. One, two, three, long Colts. And I'm high-fiving them as they go out onto the field. And you're ready to run out there too, but I run off to the side. <laughs> Wherever I'm ministering, I just be available to the people I serve, whether it's here at the parish, at the school, at the Colts, or at the police department, and also at the Knights of Columbus. Oh, that was good too. So, um, yeah, what a what a job, huh? To to uh, be asked to, to to lead an NFL team as their their chaplain, incredible. And uh, the fact that he was a police officer, so he he's been seen the. The down and dirty, he sees people at their worst. And uh, so for him to uh, to be able to respond as a priest, you know, using his his past experience, because we all do, we, we're not, we can't just block it out. And um, it was uh, it was amazing. Um, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. We have one more that we're going to share with you, and uh, we'll talk about some of these guys that's um, Jesus 911. Okay, so... If you like what you're listening to, share it, like it, and uh, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526- Jesus 911, we are back. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James 5, 19 and 20. So that's what we're called to do. We're we're called to be to be that uh you know, the connector, the connector to Jesus, you know, uh if you find people that uh, are not, uh, they have fallen and they're, they're, they've lost their way, is to encourage them and bring them back, you know, primarily by your example. That's uh, that's where it starts. And then, uh, you know, encouragement, with, uh, you know, maybe show them uh, some scriptures, show them some, some prayers, learn, teach them how to talk to God and, uh, and bring them back. I, I think this is amazing what these chaplains are doing because... Uh, you know they're not they're not starstruck. These are like the one guy says, "Hey, they're just men. They're just they do incredible things on the on the gridiron, but they're just regular people. They're regular problems, like everybody else. And uh, <clears throat> we don't need to put them up there as uh, you know deities, man, or guys that are are you know bigger than life. Um, they've just they've worked on their craft and they've they've." They've trained extraordinarily hard and dedicated and committed to what they were doing to, to put them head and shoulders above uh, others. 
and natural natural talent is also you know in good genes is is important too so <clears throat> some of these people um just just amazing athletes so let's go ahead and and highlight the the last one and uh this one uh, this also hit home with me this this chaplain here father douglas uh, excuse me not the douglas <clears throat> My name is Father Richard Rocha. I'm the uh, pastor of St. Robert Bellarmine Catholic Church. I'm also the Catholic chaplain for the Kansas City Chiefs. Prior to going into seminary, I was a football coach for 14 years. It was 10 years on the high school level and four years on the college level. I grew up in a uh, very devout Catholic family. We went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. The Knights of Columbus, bought us playground equipment. And from that moment on, I, I fell in love with the game of football. And I remember father coming in. Okay, how many of you, you know, boys would like to be a priest? And I remember I said, I, I want to be a football coach. Got a scholarship to play at the college level. Then I was invited by my high school coach to start coaching. I uh, instilled into my players, your faith has to be first and foremost, faith first and family and then football. I just remember questioning, should I even be here? Should I even be a football coach? And there was just a, a pull, a love for our Lord in the Eucharist. And at daily mass, I asked Monsignor, can, I, can we visit? And then he looked at me and said, coach, are you sure God's not calling you to the priesthood? Have you ever asked God what his will is for you? God wants good, strong men to be husbands to his church and fathers to his people. I remember my face just falling into my hands. I hadn't told my mother yet and was going home for Christmas break. And my mom spoke up and said, ever since you started coaching football, she said, I've been praying that God would call you to the priesthood. The call to St. Andrew, our Lord just said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, not leaving my fishing net, but leaving my coach's whistle. And now, you know, I'm coaching on God's team. The Catholic Athletes for Christ invited me to the NFL Combine, and I met our general manager for the Chiefs. And he said, Father, are you the one that coached football? And I said, yes. And he said, I want you to be our Catholic chaplain. That's kind of how I became the Chiefs chaplain. Being able to go to the Super Bowl, that was a high point uh, to have mass there, you know, for the team and being on the sideline before the game, being able to interact with some of the players. And they have a strong faith and they see the power on the sideline and just uh, it's an opportunity for thanksgiving to God for their gifts and their abilities. So. Professional athlete, they need God. They need Jesus in their lives. And thanks be to God for the Catholic Athletes for Christ to help bring mass to the stadiums. Just being there for them, for their spiritual lives. And that's just, that's utmost important. Football is gonna go away. And God wants us to hang on and be hungry for the things of heaven. And how are you preparing yourself? 
It's your duty as a Catholic man to bring your wife and your children, you know, closer to God. We should never take a day off engaging in our Lord in prayer and asking for His divine assistance. That's always a good reminder for them. You have to say yes, we've got to be rooted in Christ. Some of our players and coaches were Knights of Columbus, and Knights of Columbus have played an important part in my life. And as a seminarian, I was sponsored by two or three councils. They sponsored me all through my seminary years. I thought, well, Lord, I never would have thought that in a million years that, that I'd been able to have an influence on coaches and players bringing them close to God and then have a Super Bowl ring. It's just unfathomable. What a blessing. God's so good. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <clears throat> God, you know, so um, what? when he closed that door for, for Father Rocha in the coaching level, <clears throat> he, uh, he opened up this other one and, and as a chaplain and to, to be around you know, the sport that he loves. So God, God has a sense of humor and, um, <clears throat> and just, uh, he's compassionate. That's for sure. Um, but what he didn't say in the video, <clears throat> that's also in the story is that I think at the last, you, you could, if you were reading, uh, the, uh, the monitor there, you, you saw that he's also the, the chaplain for the Kansas city Royals. <clears throat> and, um, so, He's he's the pastor at St. Robert Bellarmine Catholic Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. Father Rocha served as a Catholic chaplain for the Kansas City Chiefs since 2017 and for the Kansas City Royals since 20, 2006. And uh, before entering, you know, obviously you heard the story before entering, he was a football coach. And um, he's also was served as the Missouri State chaplain from 2004 to 2006. And see, this... Per, this uh, priest he came from a devout catholic family so some priests you know they do they come from families that are that are uh, practicing the faith but for like father chuck dornquist the first guy from tampa bay he had a broken family his father turned to drugs and uh you know he didn't have that stability in his in his life uh so god can use anybody he can call anybody um this one touched home for me because uh you know as as i've said many times on the show um I coach our department soccer team, <clears throat> the sheriff's soccer team. And I do it, and I, I continue to do it because I I feel an obligation and, and to be able to sow into these young players, these, well, these young young men. They're, you know, they come to me with uh, questions about, about, their, the, about their faith. They come to me with questions on their career decisions, marital problems, raising children. And, and I can't, I can't turn away from them because... If, if, if I'm not there, who are they going to go to? And uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm retired. I, I I don't have to do that anymore. Um, but I think it's a, a it's a privilege and responsibility that I have to to serve these young men in that that capacity. So <clears throat> I can imagine that these these chaplains feel the same way when they uh, are out there. They're able to 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 hear and listen to these guys. Because a lot of they're tough guys, you know. Same thing with the guys that that uh, that are deputy sheriffs, and they play soccer. You know, they they're tough guys, you know, and and they don't want to show weakness. They don't want to show uh, frailty. They don't want to cry. They don't want to do these. You know, they just they want to put up a, a wall because it's you know it's this, 
they think it's not manly to cry, you know, or to hug or to love. And, and I, you know, sometimes they need to hear that from another man that this is, this is, this is okay to do, you know, you know, my dad used to tell me, you're not, uh, you're not a man until you cry to, to, to God, you know, and, uh, and I take that to heart. So, you know, when I really got back into my faith, um, man, I was crying all the time. <laughs> uh, honestly, it, it, he took out that heart of stone and, and put in a, a heart of, of flesh and, and, uh, it gave me the ability to, to cry men, you know, well, I would go into, if I watch a movie with my wife, you know, she looks over to me when it's a sad movie to see if I got those tears coming down. Generally I do, you know, I'm a softy. And, uh, but this is, this, uh, this guy, you know, this guy, Robert Richard Rocha, you know, so he's won, he's got a Super Bowl ring. And so did the first guy with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Um, and, you know, what What was telling here, like his mom, the prayers of his mom for 14 years, he hadn't told her that he'd been asked to to, to be the chaplain and or to, to be a priest. And and before she to, he told her, she told him, I've been praying for you since for 14 years, since you've been a, a coach, that you would become a priest. So what he doesn't say in there, but it says in the article, he puts his hands in his, his face in his hands and he, and he just weeps. He bawls because... Um, it was very pro- prophetic, you know, what his mom did. It wasn't by accident. The, uh, God heard her prayers for her son, powerful prayers, and uh, and brought him the graces he needed so that he could say yes to, to God. And um, because he went to a priest, and and a, a priest told him, hey, have you ever asked God what God wants? Because he says, I want to coach football. And... Uh, but the priest says, have you ever asked what God wants? So have you, I'm going to throw that out to you. Have you ever asked what God wants in your life for you and for your family? Because we have to do his will, not our will. And uh, like Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane, thy will be done. And, um, you know, so he also said, you know, can you not stay? Can you stay awake with me for one hour? So let's, uh, let's pick up our cross and let's carry it. Let's follow Jesus and let's do his will. Let's be available to people, you know, as uh, as uh, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, we're called to be. And uh, pray your rosaries, guys. And uh, let's be the men that we're called to be. All right. God bless you. You've been listening to Jesus 911. I'll see you on Thursday, myself. And um, hands-on podogenics is next with Gary Mishuda. Stay tuned for the for this show. He's always got great guests. And uh, you can learn a, a lot. I know I do. So keep up the keep up the good work. And thanks for being listening. For being listeners. Thank you so much. God bless. I'm 107 EOW.